Right, so this stuff that we're learning, uh, you know, it's it's long, it's lengthy, um, it's a lot to take in. What do you remember from it so far, those of you were here? Uh-huh. From beginning, mm-hmm. how you're a beginner, and then how you work your way up. Yeah. Into finding how to go through. Yeah. The stages of prayer is basically mm-hmm. reflection of your deepening relationship with God. So that was great. We did Uncle Benny little um, example, and uh, that I hope that helped you understand. This stuff is really good stuff. I know that I'm giving it to you, um, but it was good stuff. For me, that's why I share with you, and you get to really learn this stuff. And if you get it, uh, you have no idea how this can really help you in your relationship with God. Uh, so do pay attention. Uh, the reason we're going through this now is because I don't want to be going through this at the retreat, but I want to kind of let you do the practice side of it. You know, do stuff at the retreat without me talking so much. I will remind uh, stuff here and there, but not so much of going through the whole thing. And uh, before we do another exercise, I remind you, this is what it's about. This is what we're going to do. So you can dive right in. But it helps you to know, oh, I remember hearing about that. So this is what it's about. And helps you to know the bigger picture of it. So you can sort of slot it in to understand what you're doing. So let's do a review really quick. And I want to do it really quick. So help me. Um, what we're doing here is I, I divided it, this into four parts. So first thing we're learning, uh, last you know two weeks ago was what do we need Christian formation and practice. So we looked at the principles, right? We looked at the principles, and then last week um, I wanted to end, tackle the question: How does it all fit into my growth, my faith journey altogether? And we talked about stages of prayer, how it all fits in. Today I want to talk about how do I get things started? What's the very foundational stuff that we we can get started? And, um, you know, what is this solitude thing? And solitude is foundational to our prayer life and Christian formation and practice. So we'll talk about that. Added to that is the, the tradition we receive all of this from. And next week, we'll talk about, you know, how do I know it's God? As we dive into it, first thing we're going to struggle is, well, how do we notice God? And how, how do I know it's God uh, and not something else or my wild imagination and whatnot? So next week, we'll go more, even more into practical stuff and we'll dive in uh, more in, with exercise when we get to the retreat. So going through this real quick, three principles that I really want you to remember are these three things, right? Let's all read together. Number one, go. Right? That's the way that life is changed is the result. And number two. The goal of Christian formation and practice is the The goal of all, all this stuff we do is the presence of God. That's our goal. Right? That's our goal. So the, that's why the title is Life with God. Uh, I showed, showed you the Bible last week. That's a Life with God Bible, uh, which actually really allow us to engage in that. It's a you know, really good Bible. Um, number three, go. That part is also really important because we have to acknowledge that we simply just enter in. It's not something we can control, we can do anything much about it, except just approaching it is all we do. And God shows up and His presence transforms us. Now we went through the stages and we talked about stages is basically the reflection of the depth of relationship we go in. Uh, with an example of Uncle Benny, when you're a child, you only talk at person. When you grow a little bit older, you become that comfortable with talking, doing your own talking. You talk to God. Right? You do spontaneous prayer. You're talking, this is what I need. But still the center of your life is you. You're the center. You want to talk about yourself, not so much of listening. And as you mature, when you're in teenage years and beyond, you learn to listen. Because listening is really a sign of maturity. So you start listening to God as you mature. And you realize that it's not just me. So there's a huge shift that happens in this stage, which is you're not the center, and you realize God should be the center. And it's not my agenda in my prayer, but it's God's agenda. And it's not my needs, but it's God's mission. So the whole thing kind of changes in this maturity, and it grows on to where you get to be just sit with God. 
in his presence. And so your activity isn't, isn't matters so much, but it's just that you're with God is what matters. So the stages that I have here reflects that as we mature into relationship, these are the stages we move on to. And final stage in real maturity, being with God, just sitting and being his presence. No other thoughts, no agenda, just sitting with God and finding peace and rest. Tricky part is moving through this and learning one by one and continuing to practice that through your prayer life. So that's what we kind of covered. And uh, really the important thing is we're not learning to pray. You can't really learn to pray. You just pray, right? It's not so much learning to pray, but learning to let prayer done to me. It's not learning about praying, but learning to stop worrying about praying. Because <laughs> that's what we're really focused on when we're praying. We're focused on how am I praying? Am I saying the right words? Should I be saying these things? We're just worried about praying. So we're learning to not worry about pray and just pray. And just learn to approach God. And that this isn't some kind of assignment because a lot of us just feel guilty about not praying enough. And if you're honest with yourself, I think your desire is that you want to pray more. Is it not? Yeah. You really do want to pray more. You just, we just don't know how. And because we don't know how, we just feel guilty. We don't know how to approach. We're burdened, so we don't do it, but we do want to. And so this helps us to engage and approach easily as we practice through exercises. So today I want to focus on a couple of things, uh, definitions, and we're going to look at some roots of uh, Christian formation through the generation, through the history. There are some characters we're going to learn from. And these are really fabulous, interesting characters. We won't dive so much into it, but we'll get to know a little bit about them. But let's go ahead and go through the definitions. I feel that definition is, is important. Because one thing about Christian formation is that a lot of people misunderstand. I misunderstood what spiritual formation is what we called it. My least favorite class, course that I took in seminary, was spiritual formation. I didn't like the professor. I told you guys about professor who does this, right, talk slow, and he brings in all this, you know, Catholic stuff, and, you know, I it really, I didn't really like it, and I really avoided it, uh, but partly, I understand, it's because I misunderstood. Uh, so, let's go ahead and tackle these uh, definitions. The first definition, let's go ahead and read, Christian formation, go. That's the definition. What it is not is Christian formation is not, as we call it, spirituality. It's not Eastern spirituality. That's where the most misunderstanding comes from. When you're talking spirituality, we automatically assume that, oh, we're talking about Buddhist, Zen stuff, like, you know, just being empty, all of that, and searching for something. But Christian formation, we're not searching for something. We're not searching for God. We're not searching in our mind or path or harmony or nature thing. We know God. We know His mind. We know the way, the truth. So we're not searching anything. Christian formation is not about searching, but knowing God and engaging. Engaging God, the presence of God, and responding to that presence, which would transform us in the end. Christian practice, the definition, go. Placing ourselves before God so that He can transform us. It's the practice that we're going to engage in. What it is not is that this isn't discipline, even though it is called Christian discipline or spiritual discipline by some. It's not so much a discipline because discipline, either you have it or you don't, and it becomes separated from part of life. But this is... Practice that is a way of life. And uh, this is a way of life which is a means of receiving the grace of God. So this is transformation that leads to greater Christian... This is a way of life. As we do it, it leads to more transformation, transformation which leads to even more Christian practice. We're more disciplined in doing things we do. It becomes more a way of life. So it keeps on feeding. So... One of the significant books on this is by Richard Foster, which a, the author that I didn't like, but I'm beginning to like him because I see 
what he is, and I start misunderstanding the you know the way the where he comes from. His book, Celebration of Discipline, was significant for Christian uh, uh, you know Christian church in the early late nineteen early you know nineteen uh, nineties because it brought back the focus of having the lost disciplined, which we get to celebrate. And they are he breaks down into three parts. There's an inward discipline which includes meditation, prayer, fasting, and studying. There's an outward discipline of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And there's a corporate discipline, which is confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. So he brought back to the church, these are things we lost. We just go to church on Sunday and that's it. We don't really do anything that's a way of life in our Christian faith. We need to go back to this. So we'll look at more on Christian practice next week, and Richard Foster really give us, uh, uh, you know, a lot of resource for that. Okay, so Christian practice is not a burden, but it's intentional growth to engage for our growth for uh, for the to encounter God. Okay, meditation. Go. So what I want to do is clarify meditation from contemplation. Meditation is not emptying of minds and being thoughtless and void and peace. I think the Eastern spirituality calls for meditation to be emptying of oneself, like being Zen and void of all thoughts. That's not what meditation is. Meditation is actually being very active in mind, right? It's the opposite of... Hey guys, come on in. Hey, Osei. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Hello, everybody. So, you guys just walked in so you can go ahead and join uh, where we are. We're in the definition part of... on the uh, on the sermon guide there, this is more like lecture. You just dove, you're diving into very heavy heavy lecture here. Okay, so meditation and contemplation. Meditation is not being void of mind and all that. It's the opposite, which is engaging, actively engaging and concentrating. And in meditation, we engage with images, imagination, words, and whole kinds of different activities. So you might ask, well. If we're doing that it, when we're meditating, is it like daydreaming? It's not daydreaming, daydreaming. It's different from daydreaming because it's daydreaming is kind of random, right? It's very undisciplined. Just stuff you do when you're sitting in a class or looking out the window when you're at work, right? Daydreaming is very undisciplined and it's just random thoughts that comes up to your mind. Meditation, on the other hand, is focused and disciplined. It's intentional. But it's active engaging of mind. Contemplation, on the other hand, is the opposite of meditation where you cease being active and you become void of thoughts. But it's not just trying to be empty, but it's intentional emptying of mind to rest in God's presence. Contemplation is really difficult and it takes time um, as, as we mature. But that's the difference. Uh, between uh, meditation and contemplation. What's solitude? Solitude is not just silence. You can't have silence without solitude, but you can't have solitude without silence. Solitude is engaging in silence with intention of uh, activities. So we'll talk more about solitude. Again, the goal of all of these activities is to be with God. And to acknowledge this is all done only by God and we simply approach. These exercises and these things we do are not ending themselves, but they're means to an end. Do you know that prayers are simply a means, not an end in itself, means to engage God, engage the presence of God. So prayer is about being open to God. God does the praying. We don't do the praying. So it's important for us to understand these things. So know what prayer is. And that it frees us from having all this burden. And I need to learn. I need to do it right. But it's simply going to God. And approaching God. So 
why Christian formation and practice? Why, why do we engage? Why is this important now? And I believe this is something that we've been missing from Life Flight Church. We do a lot of other things great. Uh, we have been missing this. And it's worthy to address because I think, and you guys can tell me, your generation, you know, the millennials and your 20-something, your generation. And today, today's society, I think is hunger for spirituality. Do you agree? I, uh, you know, I approach somebody with, you know, and when someone finds out that I'm Christian and some sometimes the response I get is, oh, I'm not Christian or anything. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I like to be out there in the wood or in the ocean. You know, this is what I encounter mostly with surfers. They say, well, I'm pretty spiritual too. I like to sit and just engage with the nature. People today are more spiritual than before. They're seeking. They're hungry. Do you agree? Your friends? Right? They say, I don't want religion, but... <clears throat> I want to be spiritual. I want to see there's more than just myself. I want to see what's out there, right? So they are hungry for it, but church is not addressing this issue. It's not supplying for them, and they still see the church as just a system of belief, and it's all about religion. But people want more, even in their complex lives. They want to experience things instead of just knowing it, right? They want to know God. They're not satisfied with just having religion. But yet, at the same time, the culture that people live in today are very subversive to, opposite of, what they desire. They want spirituality, but we live in so much noise, right? Such a busyness. So much distractions, and there's no silence, and materialism, and gadgets, all of that. Which we're going to test ourselves when we go to the retreat. Take away all your phones, and see what happens. (laughs) Right? So, spirituality, there's hunger for it, so there's a movement that's needed. We need to turn away from Christianity being just a system of belief to a way of life where people look at us, say, look at them, they live a life that's so deep in the presence of God. They're connected with, they're so spiritual, and there's some, their life is something different. So, and people see that. We're not religion, but we're a way of life that they would desire. So Christian formation and practice is all about that. It's about noticing the presence of God and meeting Jesus. And this isn't something new, actually. This is, this is, this is what has been for us a, a way that we have lost. And it's been since the very beginning of Christianity. This is what Christianity was. If you read the newsletter... I said it, that this were what people were fascinated with in 1st and 2nd century. Roman Empire, when everything was consumerism and materialism and fame and all of that, Christians were different. They lived a way of life that was very strange. They shared with one another. They were so They were enjoy the peace and grace. And people thought, these are a strange group of people. They had a certain way of life that was very attractive to other people. And that's how Christianity just blew up in the in early centuries. So there are a deep root that we can draw out of. And I want to go through some of these people because we will encounter the practice exercises of Christian formation and practice that these people have brought to us through the generation. And we're going to talk about four traditions. And these are really interesting characters. We'll start with a Patrick of Ireland. As in St. Patrick, right? We all know. What's, what do you think of when you hear St. Patrick? Right? And St. Patrick's Day, the beer, all the beer we can drink, and the party, and right, the pubs, going to pubs, St. Patrick, right? St. <clears throat> Patrick was a significant character. He went back to Ireland, and he you know, led the people of I- I- no, Irish people, to faith, and he had a, a unique spirituality they brought with him. And what we know of him is that he had this thing called everyday prayer. Like he would pray about everything. So I'm giving, gonna, I gave you some examples here. Um, there are a, a significant prayers of St. Patrick that have been passed on, which is 1500 years old. Um, let me give you one uh, Daily Grace. This is a prayer of St. Patrick. Daily Grace, he says, 
Bless, O Lord, the food we are about to eat. And we pray you, O God, may it be good for our body and our soul. And if there's any poor creature hungry or thirsty walking the road, may God send him into us so that we can share the good with him. Just as he shares his gift with all of us. This is prayer, daily prayer about you know the meals and reaching out to hungry. Look at this. Prayer in the back here. Prayer when washing the child, a face of a child. Right? This is what we can what I can do with Hannah. The palm full of God of life. The palm full of Christ of love. The palm full of spirit of peace. Right? Prayer when making a bed. Now there's something that we do every day, right? Every morning for everyone. Look at this. You're making imagine yourself making your bed and you're saying this prayer. I make this bed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the night we were conceived. In the name of the night we were born. In the name of the day we were baptized. In the name of each night, each day, each angel that is in the heavens. Yeah, right? I mean, you have to say it with your voice like, right now. No, no, you can. I mean, imagine doing you're making, I make this bed in the name of Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's great, right? He, that's what he did. He made prayers out of everything in daily lives. Connecting, being with God. Right? So this is a, a sort of heart of St. Patrick's plate, which is St. Patrick's breastplate. Let's read together. One, two, three. Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to right of me, Christ to left of me, Christ in my line, my sitting, my rising, Christ in heart of all who know me, Christ on tongue of all who meet me, Christ in eye of all who see me, Christ in ear of all who hear me. Christ everywhere. His life is full of Christ. right? So that's his thing. That was everyday prayer. So here's what we're going to do to do this at the retreat. We're going to try to do this everyday prayers and you'll get a chance to write your own everyday prayers. Think of an activity that you do all the time. Maybe it's like starting a car. I start this car in the name of Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? You're going to write your own everyday prayers about driving, about you know reading a book, about doing it before you study. I'm going to start studying in the name of Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? When you wake up, when you jump in the shower, you know, you, you're going to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everyday prior, prayer, Jesus in everything. Now let's look at next character. is Benedict of Nursia. <clears throat> if uh, St. Patrick was father of Celtic, Spirituality, Benedict is father of Benedictine spirituality. And uh, Benedict is known as the father of Western uh, monasticism. He's basically, he shaped the, what, is, what we know as a Christian culture. And uh, he did it through uh, the, the influence of what he did. Um, so what came out as an influence of Benedict was to be Christian was to be monastic. He's what we taught, what he taught, what he shaped became what is Christianity for us. What is monastic? Monastic is monastery life, which is going away, being separated away from the world, and living in a compound with a few other Christians. So it's like monks in monastery, which is great. I'm glad you asked because that's who these people are. That's the life that these people engaged in. Right. They move away and do that. Right. So. Benedict is a significant character because he offers stability in the 6th century when Rome was falling apart and he gave us stability to that century. So he was born in Italy uh, of noble family. right? His family was rich and uh, the Rome was in chaos and uh, he encountered Christ and he decided, I, I can't live in this you know, in this affluence and comfortable life, I, I want to be a hermit. Hermit is someone who goes away and lives in a cave. He went and became a hermit, which is pretty funny because the record has that he became a hermit with a nanny. <laughs> so, I'm being a hermit, but I'm going to need someone to just kind of, you know, help me do stuff. Um, because there's like prayer for his nanny. He's prayer, you know, saved his nanny. Uh, it's, he's... These, he's a very interesting character, uh, if you get to know more him, about him. So, as a hermit, he lived in a cave, and then later on, he became an abbot, which is like the 
the head priest in the monastery. Um, Benedict was very zealous of being an abbot, being a monk, and following the life of Christ. So he was so zealous when he was abbot, and there were monks under him, he was so strict that the monks actually tried to poison him. <laughs> this is a true story. The monks were so hard, their life was so hard because Benedict was so strict, they tried to poison him. They tried to kill him. That was the only way to get rid of him. So that's how zealous this person was. So he went away. Again, interesting character, right? He went away. He founded his own monastery, a bunch of monastery. And his thing was, we're going to limit and put it in more shape and, and system. He had 12 monks for one abbot. And um, you know, he wrote what we know and what is very foundational and significant to us, the rule of St. Benedict. Benedictine rule was a guideline for a lot of churches, monastery, and even influence today. I'll tell you a little more about that. But another interesting story about Benedict was there's always a romance involved in the history of these people. And uh, he had a good friend, uh, Abbot, who is a woman, uh, Scholastica is her name, and he would visit her, which is a female monastery, which is separate from male monastery. But Scholastica really liked, and they actually had, you know, you know, feelings for each other. So, Scholastica, when it was in the evening, when uh, Benedict was about to leave to go back, he, she prayed for storm so that he'll stay overnight. And uh, the legend is, there was actually a storm and he had to stay overnight. So, there's a romance and love story. Um, but again, Benedict, his significance is Benedictine rules. Very strict. And uh, I have this at the retreat, so feel free to read. You can read this in like 20 minutes. Right? Uh, and it, it was very foundational. The focus of this book was mindfulness of the presence of God. He wanted his monks to be always recognized that God, Jesus, is everywhere. And we can actually be aware of the uh, presence of God. Right? He, uh, his focus was silence and listening. From Benedictine, we get the Lexo Divina. Knowing the presence of God, listening to God through the scriptures. Right? Um, he also emphasized seeing Christ in others. Benedictine rule is uh, rules for Christian community to invite and welcome strangers. See people who are hungry, who are poor, as Christ himself. So serving Christ through the serving of others. Benedictine rule gave us uh, the Christianity, the, the kind of the rhythm of life. The every daily prayers, which is anchored by the Holy Spirit, weekly meetings um, by the Sabbath, Sundays, and community meetings we hold, yearly and liturgical calendar actually comes from, heavily influenced from Benedictine rule. Today, Benedictine rule is uh, more kind of revised to what we know as a, a, a Book of Common Prayer. And Book of Common Prayer will give you um, daily prayers, morning prayers, and evening prayers. So there's two offices, morning prayers and evening prayers. Now, for Benedictine, remember I told you he's very strict. He had eight offices. Every three hours, the monks had to get up and pray. And some of them was 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. So 11, 11 p.m., 2 a.m., 5 a.m., and then, you know, 7 a.m. They had eight, basically divide 24 by eight, and it was every three hours, monks had to get up and do prayer time. right? But now... We have, you know, revised down to two. And one of the good resources for all of you is if you go to your uh, phone and type in www.commonprayer.net, um, has really simple way to follow a daily prayer. Um, morning prayer, evening prayer, and daily prayer. And uh, this is all from uh, St. Benedict. So what we're going to do when we're at the retreat, we are going to do our daily prayers, which is morning and evening. I'm going to ring this bell as in our time for daily prayer office and uh, we'll all come together and we read a daily prayer together and spend a little time in prayer. And we're also going to do Lexo Divina, which is the uh, tradition that comes from St. Benedict. So far so good? Interesting? So you can see the last stuff we're going to do and we know comes from these people. Now, Francis of Assisi. This is a person that we get our name of name of our city from. We are San Francisco, Saint Francis. This is who we get it from. Now, he is the father of Franciscan spirituality. He's Italian. 
um, and he single-handedly shaped the medieval church. And he's known for love of people and nature and God. His commitment to the natural world was especially significant. He loved the nature. He would do prayer with the nature. And uh, so St. Francis was a significant character. When we are in today, we're talking about global warming and all of that. There's a lot of reference to spirituality of St. Francis. Um, St. Francis... Another interesting character, he lived a wild youth, got into a lot of trouble. Um, he was captured, imprisoned, um, and you know he, he had a dream of becoming a knight and all of that. And he gave all that up, um, and he became a, sort of like a, he went into the wild, and he lived with lepers. And he would steal from his father's stuff and give it to the church so that church can be renovated and rebuilt. And uh, so he did that, and so his father brought him into the court in the town, said, I, he, this can't be my son, he's stealing everything from me and giving away to lepers and these you know, poor churches. And so he renounced his family line. He said, I'm no more of this family. I want to go and I want to live with lepers and, and, and serve the poor. So that's what he's known for, serving the poor. And uh, so it's significant for us to really take that back as people who are living in this San Francisco the name that we get from our city was a person who was committed to serving the poor, serving those who had little. Um, <clears throat> kissing the lepers is a term that you get when you know with St. Francis. That's what he was famous for. Uh, there's a really fun movie. Hollywood has made a few movies on St. Francis because he's an interesting character. Uh, he's ugly person, I heard. Um, but he married... Uh, he. He married this prettiest girl in you know all of Italy, so to speak, right? So there's a romance movie on uh, Francis and Claire, and uh, it's pretty fun. There's a movie on Francis and Claire. Maybe we we'll watch at the at the retreat, um, and it's pretty fun movie to watch. It's very glamorized and romanticized and all that. All that. Yeah, there you go. Um, another a prayer that's known by Saint Francis is Canticle of the Sun. Francis, again, nature. And in this prayer, he calls it brother sun, sister moon, um, brother wind, sister stars. So he said all of this creation, the nature of God is my brothers and sisters. So he loved the nature. So what we're going to do um, at the retreat uh, that relates to St. Francis is uh, we're going to do like a prayer walk. Uh, we're going to take prayer walk. We're going to do the nature prayer. And we'll be at a place where we can easily be encounter nature, beach and trees and bushes in that area of the house. I think the house is uh, really big, uh, the, the place we're starting, uh, staying. So we'll do nature prayer type of thing, which really um, is inspired by St. Francis. St. Francis drived for imitating Christ. He wanted to be like Christ, to feed and shelter the poor. So he's really the symbol of incarnational living that we want to do. Outward acknowledge of spirituality, but he was also very inward focused. He did a lot of retreat and prayer, and there's a lot that we can learn from. Last but not least is Ignatius of Loyola. This is, uh, some of you, we have heard this, uh, Ignatian spirituality uh, this is a man from Spain. He was a man who was a wildly romantic, very interesting character. He was wounded and uh, he lost a leg. And uh, while he was hospitalized for about a year, he had this image of he, him being the story of Jesus. Like when Jesus did this, he imagined himself in there. So he became a priest, and that was became his focus of his spirituality is imagining myself in the story of the Bible. And that's what we became known as Ignatian Contemplation. Um, Ignatius brought together a bunch of young men who was equally zealous as he was, and they found Society of Jesus, which became known as the Jesuits. And they're still around. Uh, Jesuits are probably the largest religious uh, monastery uh, in the world. Um, and we actually, there is a Jesuit monastery in down in the South Bay, and uh, we're going to do a day, silence day retreat there if, uh, after the retreat if some of you are interested in. Um, so he started with the 10 men, 
1540 and now it's one of the largest in the world. What Ignatius is known for is his spiritual exercises. And if you go to uh, Ignatius uh, Monastery, Jesuit Monastery, you can admit yourself and you can go through 30 days of spiritual exercises. And you do it in four weeks and they walk you through and that's what they're really known for. I plan on doing not 30 weeks, 30 days, because that's too long, but they have a shorter for people like you know, normal people who can't really get away for a month. Um, they have an eight-day uh, the, the, the spiritual exercise, which I hope to do in my sabbatical. And it's something that you, all of you can even consider um, doing during the week. And uh, I can sort of, you know, during your break and vacation and summer break and whatnot. So, Ignatian comp- contemplation, like I said, is about entering into the gospel story, imagining yourself into the story. We're going to practice a little bit of that at the retreat, and I'll tell you more about that next week. When you think of Ignatius, you also remember the prayer of examine. It's actually known as the examine. Uh, Basically, it's the examination. And the focus is looking back and reflecting on the presence of God. And most of us have done this at LifeLight, looking back for 24 hours, thinking of the things that we're thankful for, uh, God's presence, and confessing where we failed, right? And the prayer examine, and we'll do this at the retreat. Every night, we're going to do a prayer examine in the hopes that all of you will continue to do it every night on your own. And we'll come together as a community and do this as often as we can, the prayer of examine. Um, we'll also begin on the, uh, the exam- Ignatian contemplation, and uh, we'll engage in all of that. Now, all of this, started in the 3rd century in the desert. The Christianity was turning to be a different shape at the end of 3rd century. It became legalized. And what happened was, a decent Christians would look at the world and saw that all the Christians were becoming very worldly. What Christians embraced in early century was martyrdom, dying for their faith. But now, it wasn't about that. It was about honor and having stuff. The, the priests were now dressed in these colorful customs that were the same as Roman senators, right? And they were paid by the empire. And women were a significant part of community in early churches, but that wasn't the Roman ways. Romans didn't, you know, acknowledge women. So women leaders were being side uh, outcasted. So sensitive Christians saw that and, and said, we want to get away from this. So they left and went to the desert to be out from the world to focus on their spirituality. And they started by themselves, alone in the desert. And they realized, this is pretty hard being by them by myself. So they started coming together as a community. And even though, if you go to a, um, a, a, the, the Middle East, you can find some of the sites where Desert Christians stayed, and they stayed in caves and different areas as a community together to be away from the world. And, you know, when I was in seminary, I looked at monks and monastery and thought, why don't these people go out there and be part of the world and, you know, share Christ? Uh, But that was a misunderstanding on my part, because what was going on there was Roman Empire legalized Christianity. Christianity basically became the religion of the empire, so everyone was receiving it and doing it, but they wanted to get away from secular, how it was becoming secular. And uh, when you think about us, this is something we also need. Our world is incredibly secular. Everything but what is the faith following, what is like following Jesus. So, we need to embrace these Christian formation and practice. Um, and another word that say we need to monk the church, monk ourselves, in a way that we're not confined in the walls, but without walls, we need to be the monastery where we are engaging in the presence of God and uh, being transformed by it. So what is very foundational from the very beginning is solitude. Solitude starts with silence. Silence is what we're most uncomfortable with. The challenge when we start to pray is silence. Is it not? 
If I ask you, and we're going to do this when we're at the retreat, just sit silent for 10 minutes, lift, raise your hand if that will be difficult for you. It will be difficult for all of us. It's difficult for most of us. And, you know, because that's why when we're trying to pray, silence is very uncomfortable. And, you know, here's what happens for most of us when we try to pray, right? You get down. All right, I better how to pray. I haven't prayed for a while. I'm going to pray. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you know, I thank you for these things. I'm really thankful. Um, wow, there was some dinner last night. I really wish I had more. Maybe I saved some. Um, what am I going to have for lunch today? Wait, wait, wait. I got to pray. I got to pray. Focus then. Focus. Pray. Dear God, um, I want to, you know, really have a good day today. And, uh, wow, I need to meet this person today. And I, I got this homework to do. Um, what am I going to do? Uh, wait, wait, no, 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 focus, focus. I got to pray, I got to pray. Right? Yeah. Isn't that how it is? And you think about your task, your to-do list, you think about these people. and So we have these distractions, these noises. And I give you four different types of noises, and they are noise of need. Like, I got to eat. <laughs> I need to do these things. I have homework. I have a job. I need to wake up. I need to get dressed. I need to shower. You know, I need to watch this show, TV show, um, movie, you know, check out my Instagram feed and my Snapchat feed. I got to do this thing. There's a noise of need, which is not necessarily really need, right? And then there's noise of our body. As you start being in silence and start praying, there's this need, noise of, I'm uncomfortable. My butt hurts. My knee hurts. I'm hungry. I'm trying to feel a little headache. Man, I'm tired, right? There's all this need, noise of our body. And there's noise of relationships. You can't, like, stop thinking of this person, right? Oh, my boyfriend. Oh, my girlfriend. Or, oh, this person is really making me upset. Making me frustrated. Right? You guys all agree? Like, you start, these stuff start popping in. Like, this person, this thing. And then there's a noise of problems. Right? Or pain. Like, I really have money issues. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay for the books? How am I going to get this stuff? Right? I'm really hurt. This person did this to me. You know, I'm really sad. There's a noise of problems. These are all noises, right? Uh, and solitude is to move away from these noises to focus on the presence of God. Focus on praying. And solitude is required for everything that we're going to do. So first thing we do when we get to the retreat, we're going to practice going into solitude. Now, what we're going to do, and I'm going to have exercises to help us engage, and there are going to be different exercises. Um, and partly, one of it's going to be centering prayer, and there's going to be three things that's important for these uh, so, going into solitude. And first, it's a setting. You're going to have to go find a right setting. Somewhere you can be alone. And you're used to this. If you come to retreat, you do, I do go have a date with Jesus. And you go find yourself in a place where you're by yourself. right? Setting, quiet, alone, where you can focus. right? And then there's physical preparation. You need to find yourself in a comfortable position. Not laying down where you fall asleep. Not being in a you know slouching position where you keep on adjusting your body, you need to find yourself in good physical position where you bring, you know, cushions or whatever you need, journal, pens, and be ready to do it, right? And there's a spiritual preparation which you ask God to enter in. And we're going to do centering prayer and other exercises that will help us go into solitude. And I'll give you also exercises that can help you uh, work with your distraction. And uh, it's funny that one of the, the exercises we're going to do is going actually right at the distraction. You can pray the distraction to get it out of the, uh, get it get out of it. So we're going to do these things to help us go into solitude. But the point is, we cannot make ourselves go into solitude. We can only do the practice that helps us to go into solitude. And how do you know if you're in solitude? You know if you're in solitude. You can't express it, explain it. You just know it by this 
peace and calm and the focus that you find. And then we can begin praying. So let me mention again, you, we cannot conjure up solitude with a spell. Like, I'm going to get it if I do this, right? This is just techniques, exercise that we're going to help to slow us down and focus on God. There's no magic. We're just trying what we know to approach God. And different people have different ways to approach God. Different people have different prayers that fit you. I'm actually going to have different types of prayer, basically highlighted by these four uh, spiritual fathers, right, traditions, that meets, that fits your Myers-Briggs uh, personality traits. So if you know your Myers-Briggs personality traits, bring it. I am ISTP. Do you know your Myers-Briggs? If you know, if you've done it, and most of you have done it, if you're in college, you've done it, uh, bring it or try to figure it out and find it because I will kind of give you a, a format of if you're this personality, this type of prayer fits better. But what you want to do is engage all of them, right? Try all of them and something will click with you. Like, I really like doing walk prayer walks because I can't really sit still. Right, my my personality is I need to be moving around. Some of you work the prayer work works the best. Some of you like sitting silent and being by yourself. Uh, different types of prayer works differently for you. Different types of the solitude, getting exercise works for different. But we're gonna try it all, and we will from the you know months that will come together, we'll figure out what works best for each of you. Prayer. Christian formation and exercise is personal, but not individual. And we need to really get that. You're going to do it on your own, and it's going to be personal to you, but we do it together. It's not individual, it's communal event, a communal exercise. We do it together, we learn together, so we grow together. And I hope all of you are interested and excited for this. We come from a tradition, and we talked about this Ignition and you know the, uh, the Celtic and um, Benedictine and Franciscan tr- spirituality. We also have our own tradition of spirituality. Do you know what that is? It's a Wesleyan tradition. It's from John Wesley. And there's a lot of similarity. And John Wesley comes much later, and he's a, he has adopted this spirituality and he's very inwardly focused. That's why we are known for our focus is holiness, Christian perfection, because Wesley also was very into Christian uh, formation and practice. So holiness was his focus. But he wasn't just inward focused. He was also, because he was inward focused, his response to it was outward focused, which Wesley was known for Doing, serving the poor, doing the work of justice. So you look at any Methodists, which comes from Wesleyan tradition, it includes Salvation Army. What do you know Salvation Army for? Charity. This, right? Charity, Church of God. Uh, our very denomination, Church of the Nazareth, we started as 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 form of justice and working. This, we were known for doing the justice work. Uh, urban, what do you call it? The uh, the city rescue, urban rescue, city rescue. Uh, the the one of our founders, Breezy, was known to serve the poor and help the poor in Los Angeles. So that's the tradition we come from. Focus inward, responding outwardly. Just like Benedictine, Wesley had a rule, <laughs> like Benedictine rules. His rules was rules of bandit, rules of band society. Instead of Jesuits, Society of Jesus, Wesley had uh, band societies, which was Christians coming together, young men, group of 10 or 12, helping each other others to uh, grow. We have a really deep tradition which we want to get back to and learn from. And when we do Christian formation and practice, that's what we're going to do. 
we're going to reclaim our roots. That is so helpful that it helps us to engage the presence of God and encounter the presence of God so that we can be transformed. And I hope all of you are excited. Let's pray. And uh, we'll do one of the great traditions. And the rules of Wesleyan. Wesley said frequent communion is one of his rules. What other rules were Sunday attendance. He said, no way you miss this. Sunday attendance, weekly Bible study. Like I said, during the week, some of you are being lazy about coming to Bible study. I need all of you to be there. Right? Let me give you the rules of Wesley here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a means of grace. Basically, receiving the grace. How do we receive the grace? The ways to receive grace. It's called means of grace. Um, Christian practice for Wesley was regular church attendance, frequent communion, Bible study attendance, <laughs> band meetings, which is accountability group meetings, private and family prayer time, fasting on Fridays. These were non-negotiables. And work of justice. And does that sound like life light? It does, right? That's where we get from. We're not doing anything new. We're reclaiming our tradition that helped us shape. Let's pray. Father, we lift all this stuff to you, but we also acknowledge that our will is weak. We need you. While there is a desire, there is also our temptations, and our temptation to be lazy, do our own thing, focus on ourselves. I pray that you'll help us to embrace that one thing we need is you and your presence. Help us to be hungry for it and desire and you will help us overcome all the distractions so we can dive in and we pray that you bless what we're about to engage in claiming our tradition, being in the presence of you and being transformed. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.